So we are seeing the bad situation in Judah, you know, and he has just said that their wicked conduct is very unnatural. He says it's like when you fall down. I mean, if you're a normal person, you get back up, and if you, you know, go down the wrong road, you normally come back and go down the right one. Uh, and even, you know, a bird knows how to migrate back to where it belongs, but God's people have fallen down and they refuse to get back up. They've turned to the wrong road and they refuse to come back to the right one. And they do not know their home. They do not know the Lord. How outrageous, particularly in view of all the Lord has done for them, that they are behaving so badly. And we continue. Would somebody read 8 to 12? How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us, but behold, the lion pen of the scribe has made it into a lie. The wise men are put to shame, they are dismayed and caught. Behold, they, are reject they have rejected the word of the Lord, and what kind of wisdom do they have? Therefore, I will give their lives to others, their fields to new owners, because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is greedy for gain. From the prophet even to the priest, everyone practices deceit. They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed, and they did, they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, says the Lord. You see how they felt really good about themselves. They had high self-esteem. But they didn't act that way. They say we are wise. And the law of the Lord is with us. But what had they done with the law? Changed it. Exactly. They had uh, manipulated it. They had twisted it. They were really getting the law to fit with what they wanted to do. And how they wanted to live. It's easy sometimes to turn the challenging words of the Bible into easy words that fit, you know, what we want God's word to say. So we can say we're wise and we have the law, but are we really correctly understanding and interpreting the law? Or have we come up with all of our shortcuts and all of our easy justifications for what we do? The truth is, they've rejected the word of the Lord. They, they may talk about the Bible or the, God's word all the time, but the true word of God, what he's really saying, they hadn't listened to. They had, they had uh, manipulated. And uh, so God's going to take their stuff and give them to others, like their wives and their fields in verse 10, because they've all been greedy. Even the religious leaders have been greedy. And that's manipulating them. Uh, that's, that's controlling them. You know, because what does a religious do, leader who's greedy do? It's like Eli's sons who are like, disregarding what God said about the law so that they could get more meat out of it. That's one thing. They, a, a, a greedy religious leader will try to take the system and use it for his own gain. You know, you have sometimes greedy religious leaders who, in the words of Second uh, Peter 2, they uh, make merchandise 
of the Word of God. They, they make a commercial venture out of it. They use the Word to enrich themselves. So they exploit and take advantage of the poor. I actually, while I was in Brazil this time, heard about a couple of things. Brazilian um, denominations have really made uh, exploiting people into an art form. But one of the things apparently they're doing, I don't know if American churches do this or not, denominational churches, but they said that um, they have a lot of these appeals for donations in their churches, and that said the deacons go up and down the aisles with, with these machines that'll run the credit cards through so they can pay their tithe and offerings on, with, with a credit card. You know, and uh, that one of the, 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 the Brazilian word for a tithe is Jesus, and you can see the D-I in that, which would be two. But some of the churches are now teaching the three move, the three times 10%, 10% for the Father, 10% for the Son, and 10% for the Holy Spirit. And of course, all of that goes to the pastors and to the religious leaders so they can live way above other people. That's one thing religious leaders that are greedy do. They use the Word of God to enrich themselves. But I'll tell you another thing they do. To get people to like them, and support them, they will water down the requirements and they will, they will try to use the word of God to make people feel good about themselves. As they say in verse 11, they heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially saying peace, peace, but there is no peace, kind of band-aid theology. You know, how can we make people feel better, give them a false sense of security in doing wrong? They'll love us. Because we'll be telling them they're okay with God, even though they're doing the wrong thing. There's a lot of people who do that. Who wants to tell people the truth if it's going to hurt their feelings? It's so much more fun to tell people they're great, whether they are or not. That's what these guys are doing. So they claimed we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us, verse 8. But in practice, they were wicked and, and they you know, misuse the word of God to give false comfort to the people. Comments and thoughts on this section? All right, 13 to 17. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, even the leaves are withered. And what I gave them has passed away from them. Why do we why do we sit still? Gather together, let us go into the fortified cities and perish there. For the Lord our God has given us to perish and has given us poisoned water to drink, because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came, for a time of healing, but behold, perish. The snorting of their horses is heard from Dan. At the sound of the neighing of their stallions, the whole land quakes. They come and devour the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it. For behold, I am sending among you serpents, adders that cannot be charmed, and they shall bite you, declares the Lord. These are the punishments for their wickedness. In verse 13, what's going to happen? No harvest. No harvest. Crop failure. In verse 14, 15, 16, what do you see happening? Destruction on all sides. 
Yes. They were going where in verse uh, 14? Where they were exhorted to go? The fortified cities. And why would you go into your fortified cities? Exactly. And normally, in this whole period of time, the attackers normally came, came out of what direction? The north. The northernmost Israelite tribe was Dan. Actually, it wasn't supposed to be like that. Remember, Dan had uh, not conquered their territory, and they went up to the north of the city of Laish and conquered that. So Dan was actually the first place that the enemy would attack. Well, look at verse 16. You know, from Dan is heard the snorting of his horses. You know, if, uh, you know, if, if Mexico invades the U.S., I forget what that city is down there on the border, but, you know, if Texas gets overrun, then you know we're in trouble. They're coming at us. Well, when, uh, when you hear the snorting of the horses in Dan, you know, the enemy's upon you. And what kind of punishment is there in verse 17? You will send serpents and adders too. Yeah. An epidemic of poisonous snakes. Uh, and, and that's just another way of describing God's punishment. He says these are uh, snakes that, that there's no charm for. You know, they've got those snake charmers who theoretically, I guess, get the snakes to not bite. But these are uncharmable snakes. You can't deal with this uh, epidemic. Um, so, God is going to punish the people because of their perversion of his word. Comments and questions? Eighteen to nine one. My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not within her? Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with foreign idols? Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people I am broken. I mourn, dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. How does Jeremiah feel about this message of judgment and devastation? He's broken. Exactly. So when we teach and preach sternly, and we tell people that they're going to be lost, how should we feel about that? You know, I mean, should it be kind of, kind of gloating, you know, I'm better than you are, you're, you're, you're going to be lost. <coughs> you know, Jeremiah loved his people, he identified with his people, it hurt him, you know, it grieved him to know that, that they were going to be punished like this. He didn't, didn't rejoice over this. He, he preached the truth. He preached it plainly. But, but not with any kind of self-satisfaction. You know, it was something that was hard for him, you know, to say. Now, look at kind of the uh, response of the people that Jeremiah is pronouncing judgment on. 
What were they saying in verse 19? God is present here. What were they saying that to mean then? We're not going to be destroyed. How could we possibly be destroyed? We're God's people. We're God's nation. This is God's city. They couldn't understand how they could be destroyed when the Lord was in Zion. They thought that meant that they couldn't be destroyed. You know, that God's presence within them would keep anything bad from happening. I want you to think about that again. Do they act very much like they believe that the Lord is in Zion? They place their trust in him, but they like worship foreign idols. Yes. So, are there certain things you probably wouldn't do if you actually could see God watching you? If you really thought about the fact the Lord's right here with you, might that change a few things? Well, now they keep saying, but the Lord's with us, the Lord's with us. But they didn't act like that's what they thought when they were doing the wrong stuff. When they were perverting his word, when they were worshiping the idols and doing all that, they, they conveniently forgot the presence of God at those moments. But whenever they got in trouble, oh, the Lord's with us, he's got to help us. You know, that, that's kind of a, a convenient way of doing that. You know, don't let the Lord's presence, you know, bother what you want to do, but use him to protect you anytime you need it. It doesn't quite work that way. You know, God could see the uh, uh, discrepancy between what they said and what they did. You know, their behavior is, is contradicting the idea that they thought God was with them. He says, then why have they provoked me with their graven images and with their foreign idols? You know, if they really thought God was, that I was with them, well then what in the world are they doing bringing these other lovers into my house? If they knew I was there, this is such outrageous behavior. Do we ever just kind of use God, you know, as a rabbit's foot, you know, as a lucky charm to make us feel secure, but we don't bother to follow him or do what he says or honor him? That, that's what they were doing. But, but things were getting bad for them. You know, in verse 20, harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. There was the grain harvest in the earlier part of the summer. There was the, the fruit harvest in the latter part of the summer. And both of them were past, and they hadn't gotten anything stored up. Now, if the grain harvest passed, you don't, you're not, not getting anything put in the barn, and then fruit harvest pass, you don't get anything, what's going to happen in the winter? Yeah, That's what they're seeing. You know, wow, we don't have any hope. You know, both harvests have passed, and have passed, and now there's just famine, starvation. Thoughts and comments through verse 20. Kind of reminds me of uh, Amos chapter four, verses six through, or most of Amos chapter four actually, where it's talking about all the things I did this to you, and I did this to you, and you didn't listen, as well as Haggai, where Haggai um, has the same idea of I did all this to you. You keep on sowing, you're not getting anything. You eat, but you're still hungry. You earn wages, put it in your pocket, but I have a hole in it, and you lose it. 
Um, and yet you still aren't meeting the message. Um, it's kind of what it reminds me of here when Pyrus is passed that you still have nothing. And God's trying to wake him up before he punishes him. But they're not getting it, so they're going to get the punishment. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. God would like for us to take the uh, spanking and learn from it before he has to just destroy us. Look at verse 21. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Who's speaking? God. Why would you say that? Well, because it's the daughter of my people. Yes. Yeah. Usually, it's God that uses the phrase, the daughter of my people. You know, would Jeremiah think of it that way? Probably not. It, it, it really kind of looks like it's God talking here. But we didn't really think that in verse 18, did we? We assumed in verse 18 it was Jeremiah talking, didn't we? So when do we shift from Jeremiah to God? Verse 17 and 18? Yes, like from 17 to verse 18, it kind of shifts to God speaking. Maybe so. You know... I think sometimes it's hard to tell the difference between Jeremiah and God. Because really, if you think about it, Jeremiah is just speaking as a spokesman for God anyway. And so the difference between Jeremiah and God in some of this is, is not very great. Jeremiah is great. But isn't God also? How does God feel about what's going to happen to the people? Does God have emotions? He does. And this grieves him. It hurts him. You know, it, it's helpful to think about God suffering when we do wrong. Get grieving God, hurting God. What other kind of emotions does God have? He's got angry at Abraham. Yeah, he, he, he's angry sometimes. What else? Hatred. Hatred. What else? Jealousy. Jealousy. That's good. What else? Joy. Love and joy. God's an emotional God, isn't he? You know, sometimes you think of God as being sort of passive and distant, like, you know, he's just sort of like some sort of a clinical scientist or something that, that has no personal relationship or connection. But that's not at all how the Bible describes God. The Bible describes him as caring. So God himself is grieved over what is happening to his people. Is that the attitude we have when other people are in sin, that it grieves us? Is that the attitude we have when we're in sin? And he asked the question, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? You know, isn't there something that can be done? You know, maybe there is, but it hadn't helped. <laughs> the people aren't healed. And so God, Jeremiah, I don't know, ask the question in, or, 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 or make the wish in verse 9, in, in 9-1, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fountain of tears. <laughs> That, that, can you imagine all your head is filled with water and, and your eyes are just a fountain so that you just cry? Do you ever use expressions like that? Like, you know, I cried my eyes out. You know, anybody ever really done that? I don't think it quite works that way. But you understand the idea. You know, it's just an exaggeration. You know, and so here it's just like, man, I, I can't get enough tears to express my grief 
for the terrible destruction that's coming against God's people because of their wickedness. So God grieves when we're getting what we deserve. It's an encouraging thought and, and also a very humbling thought. Who wants to grieve a God who loves us like that? Comments and thoughts. Yes. It reminds me of like a parent's love for a child when they speak. That's exactly right. Yeah. It hurts you to see your child not doing well. It even hurts you to see your child suffering the discipline. Yeah. Very good. Other thoughts? Yes. I think this can really apply to all of us at times. It's really easy while we're while we're while we feel like we're doing okay, it's really easy for us to kind of forget about God and not really depend on Him until we start to struggle with something and then we turn to Him and we want to trust Him, but we need to learn to trust Him and depend on Him no matter what. Amen. But one of the things I've noticed in looking at Jeremiah is that Jeremiah exhibits a bunch of different emotions over the same thing. Because you know, here he says that he's really sad and that he, you know, he is very uh, uh, sorrowful over this issue. And then in six eleven, though, he says, "I'm full of the wrath of the Lord, and I'm weary holding it in." So pour it out on the children in the street and the gathering of the young men together. For both the husband and wife shall be taken, and the aged shall be very old. So you know, he's really angry about the same thing. And I guess it's not uncommon for us to have. You know, mixed feelings or mixed emotions about the same event going on in our lives too. I think the Lord does. So I think that's a proper thing. There's a sense in which, certainly from this passage, we're grieved by other sins. There is a sense in which we're outraged because they have hurt our God that we love. So both of those are appropriate emotions. We need to hold them in a biblical balance. Good point. Other thoughts? Has Israel been taken at this point? Sure. Yeah, Jeremiah is prophesying starting in, I think, the 13th year of Josiah. So we're starting about 626. Israel was taken in 722. Because okay. I was just thinking, like, their thoughts about, like, well, God's with us, so we'll never be destroyed. Like, what about Israel? Like, <laughs> Well, what would Judah think about that? That they have a simple. Yes. God is in Zion. You know, he's with us. Yeah, Israel, they didn't have the Lord. Yeah. Now, the prophets obviously say exactly what you said. Hey, you should have taken the lesson. You know, why didn't you learn from her example? But I think they thought of themselves as being superior because of the temple. Other thoughts? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that the Israelites, 